Today's episode is sponsored by Positive Behavior Support Corporation. One of our listeners actually reached out because she wanted us to know how much she loves working for PBS. So she put us in touch with the company and they sponsor this episode. So are you an ABA professional looking for your next career move? Well, look no further than Team PBS. Team PBS is the premier provider in delivering ABA services. And guess what? They are currently hiring ABA professionals, including BCBAs and RBTs. Uh, they are the, one of the decade's most innovative companies. Um, Team PBS is driven by its customized technology platform that helps to create high-quality, individualized behavior plans. Hell but yeah. They are so much more than just good technology. We've done our research. Team PBS also offers amazing benefits, including health insurance, pay time off, weekly pay, various bonuses, paid drive time, that's key, live and free CEUs. You guys, it gets expensive being a BCBA. University partnerships and 401k retirement options. Is Team PBS an option in your state? Well, they're rapidly growing. They currently have operations in 13 states and Toronto, Canada. We know we have some Canadian listeners. So keep in mind that their organization is owned and operated by BCBAs. So their ethics are your ethics. That is tough to find. To take advantage of an amazing career and these awesome benefits, check them out at www.teampbs.com or call them at one 855 it's behavior, bitches. Hey, guys, it's Liat. And Casey. And we're back. What episode is it, Casey? 21, baby. We're into the 20s now. How exciting is that? 21. I can't believe we've been doing this, like, this long. It's amazing. Okay, 21. What's the rhyme? 2-1, ready to have some fun. Today's topic okay. is going to be extra fun, because I love it. What is it? Sex. It is sex. We're going to get to that. So as always, you could subscribe to us on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcast. All you need to do is click the subscribe button, leave a five-star review. Obviously, if you love us, if you don't love us, don't leave a review. Thanks. Um, you can find us on Instagram at Behavior Bitches Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at Behavior Bitches Podcast. You know where to find your girls. And our website will be running really soon <laughs> it's like embarrassing at this point we're working on it um what have we been up to casey casey left yeah um, i left last week i got home monday um and then i actually just got back from another conference i went to a tate behavioral conference in springfield mass with i just follow ryan o'donnell around the country clearly yeah, um, it's like creepy, it's creepy. i know it's really creepy um, my husband's giving me these eyes right now, like, <laughs> um, but no, Dr. Megan Miller, Ryan O'Donnell, um, Kim Barons and, um, Matt Sicoria, who is a behavior observational podcast. He's my like huge, um, mentor of why I even wanted to get into podcasting. So it was awesome. Hashtag Casey's it. the biggest name dropper ever. It's my favorite thing to do. Like name um, dropping in the field. Yeah. Uh, one time I saw Dr. Carbone. Yeah. One time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm Casey. I'm so like that. It's true. Uh, it was awesome. I love learning always, 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 always on the go here. What about you, girl? Um, I have some news. It was a bit of a rough week. I mean, I moved into a house, which is amazing. I know last week we announced that I was pregnant. This week I have to announce that I am no longer, or I guess I am still pregnant, but unfortunately the baby did not make it. And I think it's important to share this because so many people are secret about miscarriages. 
Um, and I know I even announced it early. People usually wait 12 weeks. And I was like, well, if I, I know I have a lot of health issues. So if this happened, I feel like I'd be open with it because I can't tell you how many women have reached out to me being like, me too, me too, me too. And it's really common. And thank God I'm doing fine. You look, great. Will come. you look great. I look like shit right now, but not related to that. I just like, <laughs> I just moved. I'm looking like shit. But I'll look hot soon. Don't worry. Well, you know uh, what? You've got a lot of support. And um, yeah, literally, that, yeah. But my one advice I could give to people just from this is share your vulnerabilities. As Brene Brown says, when you share something like this, it gives people the, you know, the opportunity to be there for you and show support and say that they've been through something else. So um, I know it's difficult during these times, but it's really important to be open about these different topics. And as you know, here, we're real, raw, and relatable. So this is real life, guys. Real life. We love you, Liat, so much. Sending you all of my love over here from New Hampshire, which, by the way, is beautiful in New Hampshire right now. The foliage is peak. You should be here, but you're not because it's too cold for your fingers. Anyways, let's get to today's topic. Today, we have a very special guest. I mean, I'm feeling too legit to quit right now. We have behavior momentum. We're getting real guests. People actually care about us. WTF. Some of you guys may be all too familiar with this dude for his amazing short videos and his network called Psychcore, aka if you don't subscribe, go subscribe and watch their shit and leave them love on their YouTube. Anyone doing cool shit in the field deserves the reinforcement. You guys should understand reinforcement by now. It's episode 21. If not, open your Cooper book or open your Google browser. Um, anyways, if you don't feel like watching a two-hour video to get to the point of any topic in ADA behavior that you want to understand, I mean, sometimes you just want to understand matching law and not watch a three-hour video to get it personally. But maybe if you're Casey, you like love to like jack off to these videos that are like four hours long. <laughs> No, dude, Anyways. I actually watch all of Ryan. Um, well, we'll introduce Ryan, but uh, Sitecore's YouTube videos when I was in my master's program, I used that. I probably have watched all of them. Uh, they're awesome. But so Ryan is actually from Spokane, Washington. Um, he has been studying sexual behavior since 1999. How old were you, Liat? I was nine years old. So he oh, wait, has been way studying young. sex. Yeah, I was not even thinking about sexual behavior at this age. Thank but, God. Anyways, so, we have an expert. Uh, so Ryan has uh, his PhD from Washington State University. Um, he uh, primarily focused his studies on self-management from an applied experimental perspective and in behavior analysis um, as, as it applies to teaching college courses. I love that this, he's worked in OBM type roles for universities, um, as well as a faculty role at Eastern Washington University. Currently, he is the operations specialist at Northwest Autism Center, continuing with his OBM work in an ABA setting. As Liat mentioned, he is the co-founder with his buddy, Brad. Brad will also be on the show at some point um, of Psychcore. Basically, he is an all-around behavior analysis super freak, and he feels he shares an uncanny resemblance to Nicolas Cage. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> I don't know about that, but thank you for that wonderful intro. I really appreciate being here. This is uh, um, really exciting that you guys reached out and uh, asked both Brad and I to come on and um, be a part of your awesome show. We're super, super excited to be here. And yes, I am... <clears throat> 
genuinely a behavior analyst, um, super freak. And I just, I, I can't get away from it. I keep trying, not really, but um, I, it just, my whole life circles back around behavior analysis, kind of at every level from the philosophy of the science to teaching it. Uh, and, and that's really where my passions have been for the last 15 years or so, is teaching behavior analysis across the board. So. Did we miss anything about you in our intro? I'm sure you know, I'm, I'm a PhD. So obviously that means I like to talk about myself. So we could go on and on and on and on for hours about what I do and all the things that I'm really cool at and really good at and the things I've done, but that doesn't matter. Let's just get to the meat of the topic. You guys did a great job on the intro. Um, for those of you that want to know me more, feel free to buy me a water at ABAI or something. So. Hey, you'll be there. We'll be there. we, we try to go. Um, so my, my wife also loves to attend ABAI. It's one of her favorite conferences. Um, so we try to go every year. Sometimes we can't make it just finance reasons, but um, we're shooting for DC. So um, it should be an exciting trip. Um, hopefully ABAI we'll actually attend the conference. Expensive. <clears throat> it, it is. Expensive. It's just yeah, relatively. I mean, there's some smaller conferences that cost just as much. So it's for us, it's the travel getting there. You know, it's just. It's yeah, expensive. no, I mean, it's, it's not just the conference itself. You know, it's the. Mm-hmm. A- the hotel, where to stay, do this, blah, 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 blah. But yeah, let's see. so this year in DC, this will be the first one I went to was in 2000 in DC. So this is kind of like my, wow, coming home, it's my 20 year uh, cycle on uh, ABAI. So Wow. That's, that's amazing. Cool. One thing I do want to ask, which I think is really interesting because it, I feel like you know more about behavior than a ton of people or most people. You are not a BCBA. Nope. Not interested. Um, we when I went through my program, we we didn't really do that. I mean, there was BCBAs out there. It was just kind of getting going. Um, um, it was obviously around a little bit before that, but we were told that it wasn't an area that we really had to. To, to get a certification in. If you wanted to, it would be great. You would be uh, working with uh, kiddos in clinics and doing the type of stuff and supervising clinic work and doing all those things. And that's great, but that really wasn't my interest at all. So um, we also had the option back then to grandfather in to get your BCBA by doing by using the teaching behavior analysis piece. Um, so you could teach behavior analysis for so long at the university level and you could get grandfathered in and earn your BCBA that way. Um, so they got rid of that component. You still need to do the supervised work. Um, but uh, so it's just, something I never really pursued, never really interested in because it's not my area of focus. I really like the OBM side of stuff. I love teaching the content. And I, you know, like I said, I, I teach uh, people that become BCBAs. So I even do adjunct work here and there. Uh, and uh, so there's a whole bunch of, so I'm at a, a bunch of layers. I just don't have a BCBA, just not really interested. But I just think that's really cool. And I, I want to put it out there because obviously study notes ABA, we're doing the test prep for the BCBA, BCABA exam. And we try to tell people all the time, I mean, it's an awesome accomplishment, but it doesn't define you. That is not the be all end all. Okay. Now I'm a behavior analyst. Like you don't even know anything when you enter the world of ABA. You have so much to learn still, but I don't think that title is the end at all. So I think that's really cool. You guys, I'm sh- sure he would pass the test in three I'm seconds with flying sure colors. Sure, he knows the task list if you watch his YouTube video. Yeah, he definitely knows the task list. So that's not a defining feature. I think for fun, you need to just go take it, though. 
I, I would love to, but in order to take it, you got to do your 750 supervised hours, and I'm not really interested in doing that. There's a certain hey, irony. Hey, you, you need a supervisor? <laughs> yeah, you want to supervise? I, I think that would qualify as a dual relationship at this point. Yeah, yeah I think. <laughs> uh, although, sure, I would, if you want to supervise me, I will happily do it. Um, I don't know what, what, what you would want me to do. So, um, But maybe with something we can talk about. Uh, it, it, yeah, it's something that Brad and I have talked about, because he does have his BCBA. We, we really work well together, because he fills the gaps that I don't have, right? So Brad is an amazing behavior analyst, um, one of the most knowledgeable behavior analysts that I know, especially with regard to applying um, that context or his skills into the real world and doing some work with kiddos and, um, and, and non-kiddos as well. He's got a very unique approach um, that you don't often see. And part of that's because he really took his training upon himself and he kind of went, he did his program, an online program, which is great. But he really took it into a different direction on his own. And he really went into the philosophy and the science and uh, all by himself. And you and guys will be on together aspect. and we already have the title Bitches uh -oh. Behavior Bitches and Beasts. <laughs> no, yes. we'll, we'll be sticking to that. This will not be the last of Ryan on uh, our Bitches podcast. We want sure. to talk today. We were, you know, talking with Ryan. I kind of want to know if you could just quickly, before we get into like the, you know, the bread and butter of what we're talking about sure. today. How did you get into applied behavior analysis? Like what was your, you know, moment or what was your undergrad that may have led you to this? Undergrad was uh, Dr. Charlie Cleanthus at Eastern Washington University, which you saw when I sent you that link to the textbook that we wrote yep. um, together. So, so we've been, we developed a, a friendship as an undergrad and we used to go uh, flying every Friday, believe it or not. So he was, a, he's a pilot, private pilot. And I, I grew up with my dad as a pilot. And anyway, so I grew up around airplanes and um, it was the way that we connected in his human learning course, right? The NEAB course. And it was one of the first college courses that I sat up in the front row for because I was that interested. I was like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I want to know everything about this and charlie was a totally crazy guy totally awesome um from born and raised in cyprus uh so he's he had a wonderful accent he looked like einstein and he's just a cool guy anyway so we hit it off and then we would go flying every friday so while we were in the airplane we just started talking about aba and the next thing you know, um, it went in not just ABA, really more about behavior analysis. Uh, and then next thing we know, that kind of pigeonholed it or that kind of dovetailed into doing things like, hey, do you want to do some studies? Do you want to do some research? Sure, let's do some research. And that's where we went into the topic that we're going to talk about today. Uh, and then um, that just continued from there. And it's like, okay, hey, we've done this research. Do you want to present it at ABA? Heck yeah, let's apply for it. So, um, so we tried to present at ABAI. So I actually, my first presentation at ABAI was as an undergrad um, when I was a, uh, I was just finishing up. I was a senior, right? So I was just finished up, getting ready to go to grad school at WSU. And so my first presentation was there in front of my future faculty advisor, and I was completely nerve wracked, and it was crazy. So, but it was fun. Uh, so that's I mean, really how I got into it. So. Talking about sex in front of your, you know, faculty, right? Yeah. That was that that you know talking about pink boots and um, conditioned stimuli and how you can develop finishes and all that fun stuff. Yeah, that was uh, whew, all right. You're at a professional conference. I, academia was new to me. Like nobody in my family is an academic, so I didn't understand any of this stuff. Uh, excuse me, that was my first conference that I ever attended. It was nerve wracking, and I had no idea that there's going to be people that were in the room that. I'm not going to name drop like other people on the channel, <laughs> um, but uh, um, there were some of those types of people were in the room. And I was like, oh my gosh, later, two years later, I'm like, they were there? Really? That's great. I was talking awesome. about masturbation. Wonderful. <laughs> so anyway, um, and that's where I learned quickly, the words don't really matter. It's like, it's all good. All this stuff needs to be talked about and it's behavior and it's important. Um, so 
So yeah, we talk about all human behaviors everywhere. And I think that's probably why, yeah. I mean, when you do all your videos, it can literally relate to anything in the entire, every little thing that you do, you can pull out the behavior. It is like, yep. so it is everywhere. It's Speaking amazing. of behavior, let's talk about the principles we're going to talk about today. We are going to talk about self-management, rule following behavior. Yes. I asked Ryan if this was going to, if he meant rule governed behavior. And he told me, no, I meant rule oh, following no. behavior. <clears throat> Yeah, rule following, please. Yes. Okay, so we will get into that, what he's talking about. I have no idea. Reinforcement, punishment. It's in every episode, if you didn't pick that up by now. Um, We talk about matching law, motivating operations, functions of behavior, because every time we talk about behavior, we look at the function, hashtag duh. Um, And now I think it's time that we talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about sex, baby. So let's get straight into the topic because there's so many questions I want to ask. And I know Casey, you too. What led you to start the Sitecore YouTube channel? So why Sitecore and why sex, right? So, well, sex is an important human behavior. It's a behavior that all of us do, um, hopefully. <laughs> um, and if you're engaging in that behavior, then, you know, we need to communicate about it. We need to talk about it. We need to understand the risks and all those things associated with that. So what that allowed me to do, studying sex for so long and studying um, how to apply self-management skills to the area of sexual decision-making and, and all of that alcohol and drug use and all that stuff. What that allowed me to do is stand up in front of a classroom and communicate about this topic, right? So then now communicating about this topic without any shame about sex, masturbation, or any of that, then translated, generalized, oh, so there's another topic we need to be covering, um, generalization, right? So the, the ability to talk, communicate about that generalized into other classes, such as talking about behavior analysis. Over time, I taught all the ABA courses at the undergrad level, at the grad level, um, the methodology courses at the undergrad level, at the grad level, all of that stuff. And I found out I was a pretty darn good communicator um, with regard to this content. So the SACs opened the door to being coming a good communicator. And one of the things that I also did in my under in my graduate work was study how to teach like actually how to teach at the college level. So we looked at research on that particular topic. We call it the scholarship of teaching and learning. So anyway, applying that later on, using behavior analytic principles, looking at all of old Skinner stuff, all of uh, Keller's stuff and Schoenfeld's, all of those things throughout the history of ABA. Hashtag name dropping also, okay. there, but I don't know them personally. Give me I'm break. just kidding. Um, <laughs> but Skinner was my academic grandfather, though. So ha ha ha. Anyway, wow. we'll come back to that some other day. Anyway, um, so so by looking at all those particular um, the the research on how to teach, I found it meshed up pretty well with some of the approaches that I was taking already. And then I just expanded my approaches to be much more behavior analytic. So I would teach in a behavior analytic way. Um, whole other episode. Don't really need to get into it today. Um, after that, um, they said, well, uh, I left the university. And while I was at the university, I was really interested in doing something different, really doing a more PSI, uh, uh, programmed instruction or personalized instruction, whichever approach you want to look at there. Um, so looking at the personalized system of instruction approach to teaching university classes, and I realized we needed content to do that. Um, so slowly, surely the idea started to form and then Brad graduated, did his thing and he's doing whatever stuff. And we stayed in touch over the years as like, Hey, is this something you want to do? Cause he kind of started it as a, um, he was a, a student of mine, but he was attending university. 
at the graduate level, but he wasn't a degree seeking student. So he took a couple of my courses and he had some assignments where he did some videos and it really kicked the idea of we could do something really unique. And so that's where Sitecore came from was an assignment in one of Brad's classes to do some videos um, to demonstrate the techniques that I could then use to teach my other students with. And then we went, we both of us went, we could do this together. Because with my ability to teach it, my ability to uh, knowledge and Brad's knowledge of the content and his delivery methods and us coming together uh, was, it was, it, it was a, it was a really unique moment to be able to say we could pull this off. And then Brad was actually studying for his BCBA. So we can do this together, study for your BCBA, develop courses and boom, or class or videos and boom, off we went. And we had a rule one minute. That was it. You get one minute per concept because anything after that's garbage. No one's going to listen to you. So Thank you. Can't pull you. It in. So hey, it, it's, we met. yeah it is it's, it's great and under one minute i say like if you can do that when i would watch your videos and that momentum that you have the quick delivery to keep people hooked to keep people you know engaged real life examples is exactly what we try to do at study notes except we talk way too long a minute would be way too hard for us to ever do but. it's really hard <laughs> and it's not, it's not fair to say a minute right you can you're really shortchanging the definitions um so i mean i've been teaching behavior analysis for 20 years so for me to deliver an idea in one minute, it doesn't seem fair to the idea. Um, so it's really focused me as a faculty member, as an instructor to say, hey, what's the core of this? What does a student really need to know to get it? And if, if it takes you 50 minutes to do that in a lecture, I just don't think you're just being as effective as a communicator as, as possible. So so we tried to do it in a minute. It's not perfect. You guys know that. Some of those things aren't the best. Uh, but uh, we also try to throw an example in there that is non-autism related because we want people to remember always hey, that behavior is behavior. Yeah. It's not just autism. So. Absolutely. All right, Ryan. So, so there you go. That's, that's how it We love that. Um, it's so interesting what you and Brad have created. Um, so let's talk about when you started um, the studying of sexual behavior, right? Let's and sex, yes, let's do it. Yeah. And I want to know what it, I think it was. You said your dissertation. Um, sure. What would? How did you do that? How did that? How did you know sex become your topic? And what was your study? And what did you implement? Oh my gosh, that's a that's a really long question. It's one of those things. Let's break well, it well, down. Talk about yourself for an hour. Um, <laughs> no, let's, let's talk about how it applies. Um, so so the but yeah, Casey, let me let me explain a little bit here. Um, Dr. Thomas Brigham, who is my PhD advisor, before I was around, before I was one of his students, um, several years before he was working with Dr. Colin Peeler and a couple other people that I'm going to forget their name for because I just forget names. Um, anyway, he was working with them and they developed this undergraduate course on sexual decision-making, right? And the idea was take ABA and apply it at every level for a college student, at every level. So what is it, that, what are the problems that university students face when they come to university as a, as a freshman? Well, they got all these new choices, they got all these new sexual partners, they're becoming adults, they're 18, they can go out and do whatever they want, blah, 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 and all these crazy stuff and all that. So how do we teach them to manage their own behavior? Well, Dr. Brigham, uh, Tom had a long-standing career in self-management, also self-management with adolescents. So it was natural for him to apply that. Well, <clears throat> so him and Colin and some other um, some of his other graduate students put this um, course together, and then enter Charlie and I. Right. So Charlie was friends with Tom because they're behavior analysts and have been for forever. And they didn't live too far away. You know, it's an hour and a half drive between the two universities. And Charlie finds out about this sexual course. Um, he called it sex, drugs, and rock and roll course. And he comes to me in class and say, hey, Ryan, do you want to adopt a sex, drugs, and rock and roll course here? I want you to teach it. 
and then we can do research on it and we can work together. So as an undergrad, we actually took and adopted that course to from a semester system to a quarter system, tweaked the lectures a little bit to make it fit better for our needs at, the, at Eastern Washington University. And then I became one of the initial peer instructors and later a supervisor for the program and hiring other peer instructors. Um, so that finished out my undergraduate career. And then I had applied to work with Tom anyway, ended up working with him, surprise, surprise, already been doing sexual behavior research for a year in the program that he core developed. So when I got into it as a grad student with him, I had already been doing the exact same research for a year. Um, so then at the WSU, it just kind of expanded. I was the graduate student that supervised the whole thing. Uh, we had 24 undergrads that taught the course. Uh, we had 12 different sections, right? So it's a, co it's a peer taught course uh, because of peer teaching at that level. It's an important thing. Um, so we would do... Um, so they met several times a week. I can't remember how many times a week. Details that are long lost in my head. <laughs> um, but let's see. So it was really all of the different pieces that you would think to manage your own behavior. Introduction to behavior. Introduction to sex. Uh, introduction to the different diseases. Introduction to self-management as a whole. Whole section on behavior analysis. What is reinforcement? What is punishment? What are antecedent interventions? What are consequent interventions? All of these things. Communication. How do you communicate about sex? When you go out with someone and let's say one of the partners, one of the people there wants to have sex, the other one doesn't. How do you communicate that effectively. So we would do role play work. We would um, help uh, and hopefully provide some reinforcement for people learning how to communicate on those things. Um, what's the other stuff? So communication, we talked about assertiveness. Uh, we taught people assertiveness skills. So all of this kind of big picture um, was a health course, if you will. So and we did it with alcohol and drugs and we added all those components to it as well. But more importantly, it was a, data, a vehicle for data collection. Every week, students would report anonymously, mind you, on their sexual behavior. How much sex did you have? Vaginal, oral, or anal, in, in, vaginal, oral, or anal intercourse. How many acts for each one? How many condoms did you use for each one of those acts? Did the condom break? Did the, non, did the condom not break? Did, did, where did you ejaculate? Was it inside the condom? Was it outside the condom? Was it, um, and so on and so forth. I Every love little this. detail so that you can imagine, right? <laughs> did you, were you drunk? If you were drunk, how many drinks did you have? What kind of alcohol was it? Like everything, we were genuinely experimental, right? So, so we were asking all these questions and some of you are going, it's self-report, it's all BS. Okay, fine, it was. But we also had hundreds and hundreds of people that were participating. Um, so now some of you are also freaking out. Well, that's not single subject. Single subject isn't about how many people you have. It's about how you analyze your data. Ha! Leave it yes. at that. Anyway, um, so Casey's anyway, like cheerleading over here on the side, like doing a full rah-rah, excited <laughs> about it. I just talked so the whole other issue. <laughs> Um, but uh, so, so we're collecting all this data and we collected it every week. Um, so again, anonymously, so people could be honest uh, on their stuff. Uh, and then we would just look at trends and we would see what, what, uh, what effect different things had. So we played around with that course for a long time. We would tweak the order in which we would present the content because we had this vehicle for experimentation. You could randomly assign out of the 12 sections, you could randomly assign six of them to pattern one and six of them to pattern two. So you could put self-management the first week, of course, rather than talking about AIDS and, and HIV or AIDS and HIV, you, you, could, you could do those types of manipulations. You could add things like um, adding in an online discussion component. Does that improve the uh, communication about the, about the content and so on and so forth? So you could do these things experimentally. So when I say I did applied experimental work, that's how we did it. It's an applied problem. Sexual behavior is an applied issue, but we did it using experimental approaches, right? So, um, so when people talk about EAB, they often think, hey, just rats and pigeons. Oh, hell no. 
don't just think rats and pigeons, <laughs> think experimental analysis of behavior, not of a pigeon's behavior, not of a rat's behavior, not of a dog's behavior, of behavior. That's it. So we did that. So we did EAB work in an applied setting. So did we have as much control as a lab? No. But did we have more than a typical applied setting? Yes. So so we so I really consider myself to be an EAB applied and applied EAB guy is kind of the way I like to look at stuff. So that's really how it all got going. And then it just continued from there. Um, you can imagine the iterations and the variations. It's a 16-week course. So if you think about Was it how- open to anyone? Is open to anyone, mostly mostly freshmen took it. Because really, I feel really like, freshmen to take it. Yeah, and I feel like that'd be the popular class that people want to take. They see sex in the title they, and they're like, yes. Yeah, yeah, and they did. They did. It was really popular. Sometimes some quarters or some semesters it would wax and wane. You know, sometimes there was nobody interested. Other times there was. But we had no problem filling 12 sections um, ever. Sometimes I had to raise the caps. I remember raising the caps once because it got really popular for a few years. Um uh, but so, so we got uh, like 20, 25 students in there. You really don't want it more than that because it's all discussion based. Um, and then so all of that work then folded in back after I left university and did a bunch of you know, graduated, did a bunch of international work and then came back and worked at my alma mater at Eastern. And guess what? We decided to redo the course. So Charlie and I went and redid it from scratch. We said, okay, how much have we learned in 20 years? Let's go back or 15 years. Let's go back and redo this thing. So we did. And we continued to study it. We continued to do work with it. And we're going to be presenting some stuff at ABAI this year on it as well. So it it still continues to produce research. We could data mine that for 20 years. Um, there's um, so much content that we've we've developed and, and looked at over the years. So um, we did a couple of different versions of the textbook, um, it's, which is out of print now. I think there's one left on Amazon. It's like a hundred bucks. I'm like, I was looking when I sent you guys the link to the video or the book. I'm like, wow, it's a twenty dollar textbook. <laughs> I know. I <laughs> looked at it when you it sent it to me. Bucks. I was like, Ryan, that's a pretty expensive textbook over here. I mean, I just wanted like a download e-copy of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't actually have a download e- I don't have a download e-copy, but I do have I could probably get you some pieces of it. It's called Risky Behavior, Drugs and Sex, Friends and Lovers. So um, I do have this is like my you know your own copy. One copy left. This is it. It's, like my yeah, it's going in the show notes. All right, guys. Going in the <laughs> yeah. show notes. You can't get it, but it's going in the show notes. <laughs> Well, you know, if enough people expressed interest, maybe Charlie and I would rewrite it. Um, we, we might Why do you it have to rewrite it? Why can't you reprint it? That's a lot of response uh, well, effort. Well, we would update it. I wouldn't leave it with research that's old. I would update the current stuff because things like prep, prep, prep isn't in here. You know, this was written before prep was even invented and tested, you know, so... Um, so when we're talking about HIV prevention and stuff like that, we don't have a, the pill hadn't come out yet. So, right. uh, so that's a little, that's why I say it's out of print. It's a little bit old. Um, most of the core stuff, obviously behavior analysis doesn't change, but some of the other content would need to be updated. Um, STD rates and things like that would need to be updated as well. That's not too much work. Um, we could refocus it a little bit. Again, Guys, today's episode is sponsored by Positive Behavior Support Corporation. We urge you to go check them out at www.teampbs.com or give them a call at 1-855-TEAM-PBS. I know it's hard sometimes to find your place in this field where you want to work. And if you want to work for a great company, I recommend you look into Positive Behavior Support Corporation. Go check it out. What was the most interesting behavior or part of the sexual? Because, I mean, you studied so many different parts of sexual behavior. There's so many things you could look at. (laughs) Sure. Um, What would you say was your most interesting findings that you had regarding (laughs) 
like I know, something there's, you could be like, a, like did the rate of anal activity go up over the last 20 years I have no idea. Um, people <laughs> still have a hard time reporting anal activity. Um, I, I think that there's some weird uh, um, stigma with that, and I, I don't understand the stigma. I mean, right. I mean, I, do I understand it on a social level? People don't want to talk about it. Yes, I get that, but I don't understand why on an anonymous form you won't write it. Um, so, will do people report it more? When I quit doing that work, uh, when I left university, there was more people reporting it than when I started. How many more? Is it a significant difference? I don't have an answer to that. But I yeah. do, anecdotally, there was more people being uh, reporting it. Part of that has to do with how we did data collection, too, uh, with, with making it easier to report stuff and uh, be a little more honest, if you will. Uh, but, it, yeah, it's – so I think some of that changes with the culture, right? Uh, yeah. So it's, is it okay? Is it normal to have anal sex? Yeah, it's completely normal. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. <laughs> like um, no, biologically, there's, there's there's nothing wrong with it. It's not it's um, it's bad. It's it's morally this. I just stop with the right. crap. It's like yeah, I'm not interpreting things from that perspective. I'm interpreting. I'm interpreting Some things inside. just take time for people to start talking about. Like that's yeah. that's why even with you know my pregnancy recently, I was like, sure. why are people waiting twelve weeks? Like. You know, it's like, why are you holding this secret? First of all, I was like, I can't keep this a secret because I'm such a dumbass when I'm pregnant. My brain like literally went to shit. But um, but also, I just think people, it takes people being open about these things to create an okayness with Bingo. talking about different things. I feel like if at my university, you know, bringing light to this topic like you guys did at um, the university, to have this even as a course option yeah. would have helped me as well as many of my friends at the time when we're freshmen coming in you're right we are now you know on our you know on our own right and we have all this freedom and all this um um all, like doors that are open to going to frat parties and you know just all these things where it's like sex is everywhere alcohol and drugs are everywhere and so calling it like it is and talking about it if that was available for me, I feel like my experience might have been a little bit safer. What was your experience? Is Matt out of the room? I know my husband's like, do I have to sit here and listen to you talk about all your sexual experiences in college? I'm like, no, not going there. But I will say, um, I mean, many nights of just like, you know, waking up in the morning of being blackout drunk and, you know, you know, not really remembering or recalling, just knowing like, what all this, you know, what had happened and the safety of it. Like, was there a condom used? Was there not a condom used? Like, I need to go get tested. Do I need like a plan B? You know, all these things. And behavior analysis could have prevented that with a lot of like the self-management stuff. And um, even if it was just talked about ever, it was just so like shamed and, you know, or even was just like the culture that it was normal and acceptable just to have sex with like hundreds of guys. Like, that's scary in itself. Casey, um, how many guys have you had sex with? Sorry, off topic. Just need to know. Um, anonymous. On a friendship level. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not here for my family and friends to listen to that. So okay, anyway. text, text me later. Yeah, we'll <laughs> do. Um, but yeah, I think that's really important. And more universities should adopt this, um, you know, whether it's your kind of thing or just having a class would be really, really, really helpful. Totally agree. Um, and we had several universities around the country that that knew us or uh, were Tom's former students or something like that. You know, there, there was connections. So there were several universities that did do something like this. It's often just not as supported as what you might think. It's it's you, know, you, you want to get the for me biased, obviously. I'd love to get this as a required course for all freshmen. 
right? Absolutely. You show up. This is one of those things you need to do, or even at the high school level, um, we, which we tried to do some work at the alternative high school um, a little bit. And it, it's it, these are just skills that people should talk about. And I still think that there's still a little bit of taboo talking about sex. Um, it's easy to it's easy to see the taboo uh, when you get into public and you start talking about it. People still giggle and they get sh- it seems shameful about it. I'm like, there's nothing shameful about this. Let's communicate it. Anyway, how do you but, think um, you here as a human being? Right, <laughs> there exactly. was sex involved. <laughs> right, like my family. It's a science, you know, that sperm and the yeah. egg and like all that stuff. Yeah, like, it's, it's pretty easy to understand. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So, Liat, to answer your question of what was the craziest thing, I think one of my go-to answers is. Um, we used to study whether or not people were partners so they could identify, they, they had a way to anonymously identify who their partner was um, on these data sheets. So <laughs> we could see like partners would report different number of sexual acts. So it's like, wait a minute. So partner A is a male. There's not IOA female. here. It, it didn't match up, right? But then we had the question, asked the question of also, is there new partners? And they would say, no, there's no new partners. So they have one partner this week. Um, the female would report five. I'm just going to make the number up as an example. So five vaginal um, intercourse acts and the male would report three. We couldn't figure it out. It took us probably two years to figure out what the heck this trend was. Uh, we didn't know. We didn't understand. We just reported the data as it is. And we would note this thing. We couldn't figure it out. So finally, this is behavioral. Totally going to love this. So finally, we went back to the class, one of the classes that had a problem with this. And we said, we had the instructors ask the students to define what vaginal intercourse is for both the males and the females. And everybody wrote it down. And what people were defining was orgasms. Oh my God. <laughs> so it was really simple. The women were having more orgasms than the men. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> That's not a surprise at all. Right. Um, so then, so this data that didn't make any sense came back to being a, um, uh, basically a topographical definition. What is sex? Uh-huh. Right. So um, everybody's going to interpret that differently. So again, boom, lesson right right there about um, how you define your stuff. If you're defining it functionally, if you're defining it operationally, if you're defining it um, topographically, every one of those different types of definitions is going to give you a completely different data set. Um, so you have to you have to be really, really super cautious when you define something. Um, and that was a, a classic example of it was that, that there was this this difference there. Um, the other thing that surprised me was how much people don't drink. There's wow. a huge perception of college students are heavy drinkers, but in reality, it's not there. Um, and there's a lot of research that backs this up. Um, there is some spikes that happen, um, but uh, there is, when you look at the actual norms, um, they're different than what people say they are. So people perceive there to be a bunch of people out there getting pissed drunk every weekend. But when you measure those people, they're not getting pissed drunk. There's, there's just not as many as you think. There's a small pocket of people that really are. Um, so we looked at how many, we call them drinking bouts, how many bouts per week and how many drinks per bout. So if you went on five bouts, so those times that you're out drinking, how many times did you drink in each one? And then you would look at that. And then a, first, a graduate student before me, Colin Peeler, um, looked at the peer, peer norms. Like, what did people think they were drinking? And it doesn't match up. 
versus what they actually are. And that's a nationwide program. Um, Colin was just part of a piece of that. And, and it, he uh, uh, was doing some replication work, basically. So, so we've known that for a long time now, that what people think others are doing isn't what they are, what, what they actually are doing. And then so does that play a role behaviorally? And, and there's some there's the interesting questions there when you start to get into what norm, you know, matching to normative stuff. And um, it doesn't completely hold up on a behavioral world. Uh, when, when you start to dig in, there's, there's other stuff going on. But it's still an interesting effect and it's still interesting to be aware of. So those are two of the things that I found most interesting uh, from the research over the years so, for me. That's so, I, I'm, I'm really interested in the IOA factor, you know, having yeah. two people reporting the same thing, but that's so important for people <laughs> to understand there's a huge behavioral concept that we talk about right. all the time about operational definitions. So like, yep. well, one person, could, you're like, oh, sex, everyone must think it's the same thing, right? Right. It's going in a hole. Great. That's what I would think. Yeah. No. But <laughs> no, that's why it's so important that when we're describing a kid's behavior, tantruming, what the hell is tantruming to you? Well, I think a kid's an asshole yeah. if they're doing X. You think a kid's an asshole if they're doing Y. So it's really important that we operationally define what a different oh, yeah. behavior, what a behavior looks like, what it is, what it's not. Yeah. Right. And then, and then the differences between function and top and topography. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you try to define sex topographically, good luck. I mean, it looks so many different ways. You have to be on like, I don't know, Pornhub or something to pull that off. <laughs> but, um, I, I just, there's just so many different ways that you can define that, how it looks. So maybe that's a function thing, right? Um, is is it, What function does that get us to? And maybe it's a more appropriate thing to do a functional-based definition than a, than a topographical one. And the function-based definitions really get back into a little bit more, in my opinion, behaviorally oriented. It's a, a bit more appropriate for the type of work that most of us do in the behavioral world um, because you're thinking about what does it get to as a function. Right. Um, and then the, that gets us back to Skinner's response classes. It doesn't matter how sex looks. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're reverse cowgirl or whatever position you want to describe today. It's the effect. It's like, okay, fine. These two body parts are coming together. Subsequently, you have disease transmission. You have, uh, or the potential for disease transmission. You have potential for uh, pregnancy. You have all these other issues that pop up. Right. So, so really it's the function that matters in that particular instance. Um, so, and that was something that we, we found interesting. So we had to, we had to look at that and people were, what was the main function you saw out of the majority of the subjects you studied? I have no idea to the answer to that question. You kind of peppered me with that earlier. And I'm like, I don't really know what the function was. Um, We really don't have a complete perfect answer to the function because you can't do the FB big A, as I say on the channel, right? You can't do the functional behavior analysis because try to get that through the institutional review board, the ethics committees to do sexual behavior work in an experiment where everybody's supervising, right? You're going to turn on all these videos on <laughs> in your laboratory and be like, okay, here's condition one, here's condition two, here's, is it play? Is it escape? What are you escaping, right? Um, so like, I, I don't Okay, know. can we talk it's, motivating operations at least? Sure, I'm, I'm getting to, yeah. That's yeah, what I I'm need to know. I love MOs, I love MOs, so. Uh, sure, let's go, let, let, let's look at the decreasing value of uh, um, what condoms do, right? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it's, raise your hand if you've had sex with a condom and a sex without, right? It, it, most people have had both. Um, yes and the yes. Moment, yes and yes, right? So, so the moment rate. you recognize that, you realize that if I've had sex with a condom, or if I've had sex without a condom and then the next day I want to have sex with this person, but I want to be smart. You know, we really shouldn't have, we really shouldn't have had um, bareback sex the other night. Can we use a condom bareback. this time? <laughs> Whatever you call it. I don't know. I'm making I love sure that. that. Um, Raw dog. So, 
Raw dogging. There it is. All right. Raw so, dog, uh, baby. So raw dogging. There we go. I'm showing my age and trying to pretend <laughs> to be like like the kids. Um, um, so so uh, when you compare those two, one's way, 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 way more valuable for both sexes, by the way, as the as the as the, the um the research says that both women and men report um, that sex is not as pleasurable when you use a condom, hands down. And that is really about the affecting the reinforcing value, right, of the sexual act itself, right? So sex is a primary reinforcer. We know that. You don't have to learn for that to be um, a reinforcer. You can learn for it to not be a reinforcer, but that's a different issue, right? Um, so you, so, so if you're comparing those two conditions, sex with a condom and sex without, one's going to produce more sensation, right? So what we're really getting at now is you've devalued. Um, the the feeling of sex by using a condom. If you're trying to switch from I was not using a condom to I am using a condom with a partner, that's a really tough switch, right? Um, why? Matching law. Hello, matching law, right? So, um, <laughs> which one produces more matching reinforcement? Law. <laughs> right? Matching law. No con. You're gonna you know the no condom choice is gonna be much more reinforcing. Um, if you're looking at immediate stuff, long term stuff, you have the potential for disease transmission and other things, but that doesn't really affect behavior in the immediate uh, in the immediate term. Um, so again, matching law basically is just gonna say you're gonna use you're not gonna use a condom if you have that choice at that moment. There has to be other things that come to play. Maybe some rule following behavior, right? But anyway, we'll get to that in a second. Um, so. Again, how does this affect MOs? You decrease the value of the reinforcer by using the the condoms going to decrease the value. Guess what? You can recreate. You're going to be less likely to use it. Mm-hmm. it it's decrease. It's a, it's an it's an abolishing operation. All right. So um, we don't need to get into the condition stuff, but it's it's a, literally an abolishing operation. Not only for the sex, but think about all the other stuff that goes along with it. Hold on, honey, I need to put on a condom, right? It's it, it, you can make it sexy, and people can. And that's one of the things that we taught people was how do you make putting on a condom arousing? Do it and with your ways mouth. To do it. Thank you very much. Exactly. <laughs> we actually got in trouble for having somebody demonstrate that in university. This gal <laughs> like, took a banana and she just, she literally took a banana and went boom and put a condom on in front of the classroom. And the That's whole awesome. class went, oh my gosh, somebody complained, went to the dean, it got to the president. Anyway, it was, it, it was awful. So Ryan, I told you uh, not yes. to share that story about me. Come on. I, I'm sorry. I didn't, <laughs> uh, yeah, no. I didn't know you were in that class. <laughs> anyway, uh, that was a long hey, time I didn't know you we were, were that like sexy. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, you can make that stuff sexy. Part of it is rearranging your environment to make it more likely, right? You gotta so, pair it. Um, you gotta pair it in a cool way, right? Bingo. Now you're talking about condition stimuli, right? So you're talking about classical conditioning. Um, as, you know, one of the things that we talk about with self-management and condom use is never without. Because if you never have sex without a condom, what's more reinforcing? Sex or sex with a, a sex period or no sex, right? right. So now, so if you, if you never introduce that piece, of no condom, then, then it makes it a little easier. But in the real world, <laughs> right? That's that's just not the real world. So so we do our best to try to uh, teach self-management skills to folks. To, it's okay to make a mistake once in a while. Do your best not to make it again, you know? I'm sure uh, there's also some antecedent interventions because for example, my parents are oh South African and <laughs> ah, nice. you know, there's a huge issue with AIDS in South Africa. I mean, it's an yeah, issue 30%. everywhere, but. Yeah. We actually did work. We actually took our program over to work with the University of Western Cape in the Cape Town. Oh, you um, did? So, uh, yeah, yeah. So there's a so. lot. So I remember, like, as a kid, going to visit my grandparents, mm-hmm. and like every public bathroom you go to, 
I would giggle so hard because they had condoms, you know, and I'd be right. like taking them and like looking at them later. Um, but essentially that could be some form of an antecedent intervention, it's right? You're providing the availability of them. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of universities, at least at their health center, try put them out. Yep. But I think also people are embarrassed to take things. So you kind of have to yep. figure out these antecedent interventions. Where are we going to put it that it's sure. not weird that someone has to go grab it from the front or yep. um, just all these little, you know, I guess it would be, would that be a stimulus prompt putting it somewhere, you know, like in position, if you put it in a specific position that someone's more likely to grab it, I don't know. Yeah, you could put cool signs around it would be your stimulus prompt, right? So you mm -hmm. could do, uh, want to get laid this weekend, you know, big old sign <laughs> and banner and yeah, then use these. Um, uh, there's uh, there's lots of innocent interventions you can do, making sure they're by your bedside. Like that's rule number one, wherever you're going to have sex, keep the condoms. Don't keep a condom in your wallet. It ruins it. Don't keep it in your car. It ruins it. Don't, you know, there's just so many things that you can't do with condoms to make them the most effective. But the thing you can do is always have them on hand. Um, but um, also so condoms have like a creepy pairing because you're like, why the F did you have a condom with you? You were planning on having sex. Oh, okay. Or you're like, yep. why? Like, oh, now we don't. Now what are we going right. to do? So, right. So our answer to that question was that that's a really common question. How come you brought a condom with you tonight? Um, were you, are you just using me for sex? No, I'm not just using you for sex, but in case we decided to go there, I wanted to make sure that I protected you and me. Yeah. Switch so it, right? we don't have to, and that's, it's a simple answer. That's that communication stuff that we worked on. Uh, but yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a hot topic. <laughs> um, so yeah. Um, condom use we got uh, we would have adam and eve send us about twenty thousand condoms a year for our program so they would send us this gigantic box of condoms and we got it just by calling them and telling them what was going on they'd be like hey free advertising with rubbers so they would just send them across the country and i was it was rubber day it was great we'd get all these condoms and then we would just start distributing them like crazy um, i worked overseas in afghanistan and there was a lot of a lot of sex You're going so on in cool. um, and i would bring condoms with me literally like bagfuls of condoms to distribute to the people and drop them from helicopters no i didn't need to i just walked around the <laughs> uh, walked around the the hotels if you will so we kind of lived in a hotel um then i would also go out to the embassy and distribute them to friends and colleagues out there and be like here's a hundred condoms give them to everybody and just gave them out, just constantly gave them out because it was, it was an issue. Disease was rampant. You know, it was, everybody was having sex with each other. It's like, no, my gosh, I can't handle this. Here's condoms. So, uh, <laughs> so going through customs with 10,000 condoms is an interesting experience. Like, yeah, exactly. You're going into Afghanistan. It's like, what is this? It's like, it's not alcohol. They're like, okay. <laughs> so, uh, so, so what were you in Afghanistan for? Um, some of that work that I was talking about earlier, we were working with universities to kind of rebuild the curriculums over there. We had a large grant from the USAID. Um, I was an employee at Washington State University at the time. Um, so we were working with the 19 institutions of higher education over there to work on curriculum redevelopment and reform. Um, they had been a brain drain in the country um, after the Mujahideen Wars or basically after the, the Soviet invasion. Um, and then when they left, they had a big brain drain because of the Mujahideen Wars and then the uh, Taliban coming in and all that fun stuff. So, um, 
so we were working on rebuilding all of that stuff and uh, collaborating with a bunch of bunch of people on that. Um, so I was over there for about three years. Um, so it was really, really cool, really awesome. Loved the country, loved the people. Um, an experience I would never like, uh, never be able to replicate, and would never want to not live without. It was really your awesome. resume is so cool. I would hire the shit out of you. I would hire <laughs> the shit out of you. Your resume is so cool. I'm not an, I'm not an easy person to employ. I, I, I will admit that my boss has a hard time bossing me, um, but she's currently she's, she's doing really good. So, um, so we work really well together um, now, but um, I can be a difficult person to work with to say the least, largely because of that really wild, crazy background. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> been there, done that. <laughs> I know better than everybody. Right. No. Um, so I, I have to keep myself in check a little bit because. All okay. So my favorite behavioral principle is CMOT. I just love CMOTs because they're everywhere. And especially since I've been moving this week, I've seen everything as being a a CMOT. I'm like, I can't get in this box. Where's this thing located? I don't know how to open my wine. Uh, I don't have scissors to open this. Oh my God, I don't have my charger for my laptop, right? So just wondering, would condoms be a CMOT to have sex? Oh, I don't know. I mean, you don't need it necessarily, right? Versus Jack Michael. I mean, it just... um... I have a hard time with CMOs, um, not because, but because I think they're so, a CMOT, I think is pretty much the easy one, transitive. It can be. I think the answer to your question, Leanne, is that it can be. It doesn't have to be. I think it can it has be. to be for each person, though. It can be different for each person. It's not. Yeah, it's a point. Like, if, if someone, like, for example, like won't have sex without a condom, right? Then sure. it would be a CMOT. It depends on the individual, sure. what they're, like, if you don't give a shit, then. <laughs> right. Like you get all you get all saucy when you see a condom. If 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 you're getting physiolo- physiologically aroused when you see a condom, then the condom is a CMOT. If you're not, probably not. Right. It's kind of the way to think about it, right? Because a CMOT is just a type of condition stimulus, right? It's I think it's kind of the more traditional one, if you will. But um, so totally. and it's it's very transitive, right? it, by definition. <laughs> exactly. It's going to be there for a little while, then it's not, and so it's it's. Again, so I think that that's a great way to think of condom use. If you could, if if we could convince people to make them always a CMOT, then I think that you're going to have a better, um, you're going to reduce the rates of disease transmission. So, so backing up so to like, um, academic and boring. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> no, you're not. I I love it. I just love CMOTs. I I, I want to know more about yeah. this rule Lots. following behavior. Oh my gosh. All right. I knew that. that yeah. That fired why, you up what's earlier. the difference between rule following and rule governed? What the hell? If I ever hear anyone in my presence say rule following or rule governed behavior, I just like a little part of me dies. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm so here, sorry here's to tell you. Especially good behavior analysts. Um, so good behavior analysts should understand what reification is, right? So reification is creating something out of nothing, making something hypothetical into something that can then cause something else, right? So a hypothetical construct is a freaking hypothetical construct. It can't physically cause something because it's not real, right? Mm-hmm. So when you say rule governed, there's this rule that's supposedly governing something. But where is that rule physically? And how is it physically altering the environment and making changes? It isn't. Yeah. So the argument as presented to me, and I don't recall who presented this, but I totally bit into it and I love it, uh, was that it's not rule governed behavior, Ryan, it's rule following behavior. And when you think about it as rule following behavior, the world changes. Why? Because now I can teach rule following. And it starts to explain why will someone follow person X's rules, but not person Y's rules? Why Or rules on paper versus rules spoken to them. Rules from a professor versus rules from a parent. All of this becomes different. Why? 
think about it in terms of reinforcement. If I follow your rule, Casey, and I get reinforced as a result of following your rule, I will likely follow your rules in the future. If I follow your rule and it doesn't work for me, I will probably not follow your rules in the future. So I discriminate. Casey's rule sucks. It's that yeah. simple. So now I'm not going to follow Casey's rules. But I'm joking. Obviously, your rules are wonderful. Um, but then, then I learned that Liat's rules, they work every single time. So I'm going to follow Liat's rules every time. Right. So then now we're talking about you just develop discriminated operants based on the rule of the person presenting the rule right. or the environment presenting the rule. So is it a law that's presenting the rule? Well, that's an interesting one. Law is a type of rule. Some people learn to follow laws like crazy. Some people learn to never like not follow laws at all. Some people follow some laws and not other laws. And I think it all boils back down to the behavior of following rules, which has been reinforced or punished. And I think this is something that our field is missing. And if you look at the Hank, the Hank, um, the Hank, the Hank video from uh, uh, Ryan O, uh, the controversial one about some of the stuff that's missing in our field, it's that critical analysis. This is one of those situations where we're not being critical of ourselves. So when we say rule governed, we really mean, yes, there's a rule in place um, that seems to be an SD for behavior or not, or whatever the case may be. However, that doesn't get at the big picture. Let's analyze it a little further, which is that there's a behavior called following rules um, and you can reinforce that and punish that so um, so I, I just think that 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 seems to be the case and that's uh, from my perspective could i be wrong oh yeah of course and if i couldn't be wrong then it would be a bad presentation but uh, because that would not be falsifiable not testable so on and so forth so so go out there go forth and test this hypothesis um i believe there's I like quite it. a bit of research on it already but but that's why you'll never hear me say rule governed um it's rule following from my perspective and again it gets you at a behavior and if it's a behavior now we can change it we can reinforce it it gives you um, for lack of a better term it gives you hope yeah and, um, if you've got some rule if you're working on rule following behavior so now are you saying and correct me if I'm wrong but like there's a contingency in place right Bingo. for following a rule so there is a contingency there, you know, there's contingency shaped behavior, and then we get into this versus rule governed, right? right. So like, I would say, and after listening to you, like, it's all a contingency. There's always a contingency in place. <laughs> sure. Now, yeah. of course, this is quickly going to jump into the RFT world, which I am not going to discuss today. Um, I'm not prepared to discuss that. I'm still learning heavily. So, um, but th that starts to jump into RFT and why RFT gets so interesting, to be completely blatant, is that maybe, is there something else there? I don't, I don't know. And we can come back to visit that maybe in two years or something. But um, it's, yeah. But, but yeah, is it all contingencies? Some people would argue no. And I, I don't think everything's a contingency, but I think it plays a huge, huge role. And if you do look at things from a contingency, um, then at least least it gives you the tool to do something with it. If you say, well, it's not a contingency. It's just, it is what it is. It's just biological. Okay. You're done. It, it, it ends it. It's like, I, <laughs> that doesn't do it for me. I, I need that. I need that other piece that says, can we, can we tweak it? Can we do something about that? And the beauty of a contingency, uh, no matter how complex of one is that it allows you that, that opportunity to do something about it. Either. Can't, it also, can't it also be a, a contingency based on like it's a rule to you right you've heard it as a sure. rule but yeah. you've seen someone else come into contact with the contingency and you're like that sucks right and yeah. as a result like it still is a contingency essentially like oh mm -hmm. my best like not actually saying like my sure. best friend got aids doing this so now right. it actually i mean to you it's a rule use a condom but it, it also is contingency based because there was some couldn't it generalize like those punishing sure. Or... Sure. Be cautious to remember that vicarious reinforcement isn't reinforcement. 
um, or vicarious punishment isn't punishment. Just because I saw someone get punished, that's not a contingency Mm. for me. That's a contingency for them. Them. And if now that gets us right back to rule following, right? If I see you do something that gets you hurt, that's that's a visual SD. That's a, a type of rule for me. I can then turn that into a verbal statement. When Leah did that, she got hurt. I'm not going to do that. And every time I've, you know, so I've now following a rule. So watching someone else might get me to follow a rule. So, so, and we do know that people seeing other people experience contingencies um, can change their behavior. Um, There's a lot of research out there from the social psych world that match up with this stuff as well, too. So um, there's a lot of uh, of inner inner observe, inner science uh, uh, agreement, so to speak, right, on uh, the value of looking at peers doing things um, and directly observing. And it even goes across species, by the way. You can other species learn from watching other uh, other animals in their own species, even cross species. You know, cats will learn from watching you. You will learn from watching a cat, and so on and so forth. So there's all sorts of there's all sorts of things that that, that play a role there. Um, imitation, yes. maybe. Yeah, imitation. Uh, generalized imitation was probably um, a bigger issue. It probably plays a huge role in all sorts of things that we we tend to forget about. Uh, imitation's got such a strict definition. You know, it has to be a new behavior. It has to be instantly following the other one. Um, and then generalized, right, right. I think, is, is, is uh, I think, what, who was writing about that? Was that, it was Bayer, I think, was originally writing about generalized imitation in those, in those studies. I can't remember. Bayer, Stokes, Stokes, Stokes and Bayer. I trust you. I trust you. Yeah, I don't I trust remember. You, I'm like, hold on. I'm going to go look up the article <laughs> as I go over here um, to grab all the articles. But um, I don't remember. But anyway, I think generalized imitation, if you don't know about it, folks, just go look it up because it's way, way cool. Uh, so. Well, we've had a lot of good stuff from you, and I um I know that you and Brad are going to come back on for another episode because sure. we've got so much shit. We don't want to blow all our load in this one episode here. Right, perfect. Pun was fully intended. You pun know was it. intended. Don't I've lie. been thinking about it all episode. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think sex is it's an important topic to talk about. And sure. the, you know, self-management strategies like you're talking about for mm-hmm. protecting yourself from disease, from pregnancy, from, you know, or, you know, whatever it may be, the risks that go along with it, um, whether it's alcohol or drug use with it, is all stuff to think about and actually just really bring out into the open. So it's not yep. so like sacred or secret, you know, yep. sex is great. Like we all fucking what... love sex, right? <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to go have sex after this episode. <laughs> Well, I hope you have a great whatever day it is today. <laughs> yeah, and please have more data to me about which position you do. I need to know okay. Casey as a friend. No, we're gonna we're gonna collect data. Wait, but Ryan, I know Casey. Yeah. This is literally just for selfish reasons mm-hmm. because okay. I have Ryan here, and he's so good at explaining things. There's something that every time I ha- I want need to explain it to someone, I have a difficult time, and it's not related to this. I mean, I guess it could be essentially, but. <laughs> Ryan, can you please, as the last thing, explain the difference between a behavioral cusp and pivotal behavior? I'm sure a lot sure. of people listening would love to Go watch to our video. <laughs> go watch uh, go, the YouTube video. Go watch exactly. the YouTube video. Um, seriously, it's one of the most popular videos we have on the channel. Um, it, it, in a short, pivotal is generalization, and cusp opens the door to new, to new reinforcers. That's it. So if I teach you a skill... All right, whatever that skill may be, I could I could teach you something about woodworking mm-hmm. that will open up a whole new world of behavior that you can now do. That's our hashtag. New a whole new world. <laughs> a new, yeah. Oh gosh. Now you're gonna make. Don't make me sing. Brad doesn't like it when I sing, uh, but I like to sing, so I don't care. Um, so if I teach you how to do woodworking, 
Now suddenly you can do things that you couldn't do before, which is more reinforcers. A pivotal response um, just allows you to basically generalization, right? So, um, so you pivot upon a response and you can now generalize that particular skill into new contexts. So, but cusp is really about new reinforcers. That's really, really, really the key. If you want to think about pivotal, think about generalization. If you really want can to boil it down. Can you that. give me an example of pivotal behavior? Because I could talk about behavioral cusps all day. It's pivotal okay. behavior where I get a little. Well, as a, as a, as a teacher, by definition, why don't you give me an example of pivotal and I'll tell you whether or not it is. Oh, we're gonna make Boom. him a dumbass on the spot. Thank you so much. <laughs> so You're putting pivotal... me on the spot. I know, right? So anyway, go ahead. Okay, so pivotal behavior, it's Kogel and Kogel, right? The two guys, yeah. and I and I don't know why. For some reason, I have it associated. Anyway, go ahead. Everything I teach is not – I always try to apply it not to autism, but for some reason, when we talk about pivotal behavior, I feel like it's really associated with autism. And the one example I have is joint attention sure. um, in terms of being able to – now you have joint attention. You could use it in multiple settings with multiple people, right? Looking up, looking at the other item that you're looking at. But I don't, everything else that I teach, I feel like I could really explain it at a, you know, I could bust out 5 million examples, like every single thing I see. For some reason with pivotal behavior, it just doesn't, like if behavioral costs, I could think of a million. Pivotal behavior, sure. it's difficult for me. I feel like I like know it by definition and that's not how I like to know things. Sure, it's tough. It's because the distinction is is small. Um, in my experience, the the discrimination between them is fine. Um, I I, I think, and I'm not perfect at this, folks. I'm looking around the room right now for my Cooper book to be like, hey, I double need to double check myself here, um, because before I do any video, I always double check myself and correct myself if I get it wrong and delete. We've deleted a dozen videos because I got them wrong. Um, but uh, again, think generalization, right? So, um. Slicing. I'm trying to think of the example that I used in the video was. See, it's hard. Um, paying attention reason, to the grain. Pivotal behavior just doesn't yeah. come. There's not as many examples to me. So I like talk about Ryan, your talking. your example that you used. If I'm not wrong, of what I remember from your video was okay. So woodworking, right? So now you're. Woodworking is yeah, ever. it's just like a. Uh, it's a. It's an untrained. Now you're trained on this one type of woodworking of way to cut the the wood. Yeah, looking at the grain. Yep. Yeah. And so yep. then you, without training, right, you can kind of yep. pivot to a different type of Generalize. cutting. Yep, exactly, with a different thing. So in the example, I believe I use uh, vegetables. So paying attention to the grain in woodworking will, will save your woodworking to all sorts of reasons. It doesn't matter why. Paying attention to the grain when you're cutting a vegetable, same thing, mm -hmm. right? Um, or meat. So paying... Or meat, especially meat, right? If you cut meat in the wrong way, um, then it kind of falls apart. It doesn't present well. It doesn't. It doesn't bite well. Um, if you cut it on the bias, and all of a sudden it looks nice and it slices beautifully, and um, it's the same sort of thing. So by attending to one particular stimulus in one environment, you can pivot that response, generalize it into a new one. Boom! Without teaching a new behavior, Your, the behavior is the same. Attend to grain. Mm -hmm. Right. So boom, and you just pivot into a new response or a new, a new environment, which is why I like to think of it as generalization. Cusp behavior is literally about teaching a new response. So mm -hmm. I teach you a new response. So cusps for me is easiest to remember as new versus generalized. Right. So, um, so again, and sometimes it really gets wonky. And we say, I could teach you a cusp behavior that will, that will pivot. Yeah. Right, so they're not—they're not necessarily mutually exclusive, um, but a pivotal behavior is not a cusp behavior, but a cusp behavior could become pivotal. 
right? So, so, it, it, so I love that. Keep you that new response, right? So again, our channel, we, we worked, Brad and I worked really, really hard on our video on that. We probably had a half dozen videos that we tried on it, didn't like it, uploaded them, deleted them. So the one that we have out there, we're really proud of um, just because it really kind of boils it down into a really simple way to talk about it. Uh, and it, for me being on the spot, I want to go into traditional lecture mode and lecture for like an hour on why it's this way and that way and not this way. So it's a little harder without being a little. It, it was totally for selfish reasons. And I'm sure a lot okay. of people are going to, that okay. you explained okay. it right here. It's just like one extra thing in case they're studying for their boards or need to understand it. Yeah. Um, and also, guys, I, if you don't know, this. all of his videos are free. What? Yeah. Free. Like R-E-E. And not just free, we actually, they're open educational resources. So we have a license on them that allows you to download, copy, redistribute, edit, cut, and redo it all again. So we use a, what's called a Creative Commons license with a buy attribute. So all you have to do is say, hey, we got this from, from Sitecore. You can yeah. use it wherever you want. Um, a lot of the other free videos out there are not open content. They're open access, but they're not open content. Uh, Foxy Learning's got a ton of amazing videos. Do not think they're bad at all, uh, but they're open uh, con They're open access, but they're not open content, which means you can't copy them and put them into your classroom. You can't put them into a textbook. You can't right. do it. Ours are completely open. And the idea, well, again, that. we can talk about that thank later. You. It, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Tear down the walls. Get rid of the get rid of the university walls on content that can help humanity. Humanity, and that was really our goal. Well, you're achieving it. I will say that. We're trying. You guys are doing better, I think. We're, we just put a bunch, yeah. bunch of videos. And I want everyone to know, I, I opened my Cooper book, as we always tell everyone, to just open your Cooper book. And he did a great job at explaining pivotal behavior versus behavioral cause. So I just was checking in on you, you know. Good, you should. If it, as a scientist, if y'all aren't checking on me and correcting my behavior, then 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 we're then we're not doing it right. And as a behavior analyst, you better correct me if I if I do something wrong. And I've taken down lots of videos because I've made mistakes. We read on them. It's mistakes. You gotta happen, own it. Right? You gotta own it. Absolutely. I mean, even when I'm teaching, I'm always shaping. like, yeah. 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 I'm like, oh crap. Okay, let me just make sure what I said. And you know what? If someone asks me a question, puts me on the spot, I'm gonna be like, like, let's look at this together. Like, I don't know everything. I everyone, no. this is your cue and this is my F bomb. Open your fucking Cooper book. All right. <laughs> open your fucking Cooper book. Or open up Ryan a book got on a, behavior analysis. Yeah, yes, exactly. Ryan O's got a great video where he's just sitting there reading. Yeah. It's like, this is what behavior analysis is about, people. You're not going to find the content through Psychor or through Ryan or through you guys. You can find some of it, but right. 99, whatever he says, a million percent of it is over on in the textbooks and the journal articles. You want to really learn it, that's where you go with it. And teach it, too. Oh, my gosh. You really want to learn the content? Go out and try and teach it. That's a whole oh, other yeah. world of skills. That's how I feel with study notes. I'm like, it's a whole new world teaching it when you're standing yeah. in front of 200 people. Like a behavioral class, online. you know, a whole new world. <laughs> yes. <All right. laughs> Okay, Ryan, this is not the last sure. time we're going to have you on. And this is, okay. we are going to have you on multiple times because you are just brilliant. <laughs> and to have your brain here, only if you want to come, obviously. I love it. This is great. And we can, we want you on with Brad too. Sure. Oh yeah. We we get a little wild and crazy. We're, we, we feed off of each other really bad and it just, it can get completely out of line. Um, so yes. you might have to do a lot we of cuts and edits, but we'll have fun. We okay, eat that we up over here at Behavior Bitches. <laughs> All right, guys. So we're going to thank Ryan so much for coming on early. I know it's early for you on this Sunday morning, um, sure. but we got to get it out for the people every Monday, right? So thank you, Ryan. You bet. No problem. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. And look forward to coming back whenever I can. As always, guys, subscribe to our shit, our Patreon, www.patreon.com slash Behavior Bitches Podcast. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, all the places. 
And as always, love you. Mean it. Hey guys, it's Liat. And Casey. We just want to take a second to let you know that if you're thinking of being a millennial like us and starting your own podcast, there is a way. You can do your show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard, because guess what? We don't know shit with that. But we have Alan at Pretty Easy Podcast who help us get started. He records our shows, he posts them, he adds awesome, awesome music and cool shit when we don't even know what he's doing. He sends us teaser episodes, he does it all. We just sit here and friggin' talk. We shoot the shit and you can record from home, your office, the park, a bathroom stall at work, it doesn't matter. He provides the complete podcast studio. All you need is a microphone and you're good. Alan caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. He has been super flexible with our schedule. Whenever we need him, we go to Google Calendar. We just book him and he does all the hard work. It's like so incredibly easy. That's why it's probably called Pretty Easy Podcast. So be heard and have some fun podcasting like us. Go to prettyeasypodcast.com today.